Welcome to the club. This is meeting 166, and today is the 5th of October 2023. We start with a bit of feedback from Roy Bakken on the previous episode regarding erroneous behavior. He writes, I think the erroneous behavior proposal is meant to allow the standard to specify situations where it is allowed to either fail on or to allow but be deterministic if it allows the situation. To try and clarify, here are various situations that the standard describes. Ill-formed, compilation must fail. Undefined behavior, compilation must succeed, compiler might warn, but code can do anything. The third one, ill-formed, no diagnostics required, the dreaded if-ndr. Compilation is allowed to fail or generate code that can do anything, basically without warning you. <laughs> and the fourth one, the new one, is erroneous behavior. Compilation is allowed to fail or generate deterministic, not explode, a behavior. So thanks to Roy Barkin for the clarification, although how it all plays out in the end is still a bit murky how these four can coexist together. <laughs> I must say, you know, I was a bit confused by this, but I'm warming up to the idea. If, uh, if we manage to get into a situation where people would get less worried about using C++ because at least there is some, you know, there is not going to be undefined behavior, there's going to be erroneous behavior, but... Um, but I mean, the, the the missiles won't launch, and uh, uh, bad things will not necessarily happen. Then maybe maybe it's a good thing. And there is some more. I've seen some more um, proposals building on top of this. So I'm open to the ideas. I still think we'll need uh, to explain this uh, to newcomers, and it's going to be adding. To the complexity, but uh, maybe it solves more problems than it creates. Yeah, anything potentially improving the situation with undefined behavior is good. Next topic is uh, the committee mailing uh, for September 2023. There's quite a few papers. Uh, let me go through some of them. Unfortunately, as a spoiler alert, there's nothing on reflection or pattern matching. Boo. This paper is called Vector API for Random Number Generation. Uh, this is at revision 9, so it's been brewing for quite a while. And it's a convenience, I guess, improvement. In the motivation and scope, they say the C11 random number API is essentially a scalar one. Stateful nature and the scalar definition of underlying algorithms prevent auto-vectorization by the compiler. So this paper proposes a new interface, which is basically an equivalent of generating random numbers in a loop. But it allows for better vectorization and better convenience. So the, the proposed API is a member of Stud Ranges uh, namespace, and it's called generate underscore random. 
where you give uh, create a, a, a random number engine, set it up, uh, saying you need, for example, uniform real distribution, and then pass those parameters to generate random together with a array of floats, for example, uh, of certain length, and it fills that array with random numbers. And the paper also added iterator-based versions uh, for when you don't have ranges. Yeah, that sounds good. Next paper on my list is related to contracts. It's titled A Natural Syntax for Contracts by Jens Marer and Timo Domner. I must say, it's a clever title. When you uh, call something a natural syntax, it kind of prepares your brain for accepting it as something completely natural. This is different from the previously um, proposed syntax, which is attribute-like. And this one looks like a function or um, a concept. Again, they use the same um, sort of keywords, pre, post, and assert. I think there is a, an assert somewhere in the paper. But it looks pretty much exactly like attributes, but instead of using attribute-like syntax, you use um, sort of a statement or... It's not a function, it's like a, more like a statement. Pre, parentheses, uh, condition in the parentheses, parentheses close, semicolon. And after the function signature, you have a, a series of those preconditions and postconditions. And you also so it can... It seems like they want to keep this fairly short, like uh, they don't intend uh, contracts to be massive amount of code, just something that you can put in a, in a quick uh, line. Yeah. Actually, that's a good point. All the contract-related papers illustrate contract conditions as something short. Yeah. It would be dreadful to see the code where a contract, a condition, spans pages of code. <laughs> Although I'm sure it's someone's going to write that. And this syntax kind of disencourages that because you don't have curly braces, you have normal brackets, round brackets, so that makes it kind of look like, you know, it shouldn't be too much code there. But uh, yeah, and does it introduce a scope in a way? I've seen this uh, syntax uh, with the columns somewhere. Um, it's an interesting uh, take, I think. And they say, uh, quote, this order is consistent with the natural order of reading a function declaration. Typically, the reader will first want to see the function signature and whether it's virtual, then any compile time constraints, the requires clause, and finally, any runtime constraints, the contract checking annotations. So that's the um, explanation of the natural word. The next paper is also contracts related. It's titled A Principled Approach to Open Design Questions for Contracts by Joshua Byrne. So this is like a summary of 
the approach. And a list of open questions uh, for the contract's MVP, a minimum viable proposal. Quote, SG21 has made significant progress toward producing a complete design for a contract's facility MVP. As work proceeds for completing this feature proposal, open questions must be considered and answered such that the feature is, uh, will eventually have widespread adoption throughout the entire C++ ecosystem. Fundamental design principles that help guide such decisions for the contra contracts facility are presented in this paper, as are proposals that address most, if not all, of the open questions affecting the design of the contracts facility MVP. In the introduction, they summarized the uh, other papers uh, with links, which is convenient. And then they list principles and, um, yeah, basically all, all kinds of uh, stuff about the current state of things in, in, in the MVP. MVP. I must admit, I only skimmed this paper. Uh, quote. The contract's MVP being developed by SG21 is progressing smoothly towards a complete proposal according to the agreed-upon schedule. Hold that thought. The next paper, 48 pages long, by Joshua Byrne, Jake Fivold, and John Lakers. And it's titled, A Bold Plan for a Complete Contracts Facility. Hmm. I'm not actually sure. This looks like a complete thing and I'm not sure if it's if it builds on uh, the MVP work or it's something mm, like separate uh, the previous paper was written by Joshua Byrne and he's also one of the co-authors of this one so I'm guessing this builds on uh, the MVP but given the previous quote I mean, it happened before <laughs> when uh, the existing work was suddenly, um, how should I say it? Well, previously existing work was derailed by some by a new paper. And I wouldn't be completely surprised if it happened again. But uh, yeah, this is interesting actually. Um, I will need to read that paper um, more thoroughly. At the moment, um, I've just skimmed it. And given that it's from Bloomberg, it could be that uh, they apply their own requirements to the existing work so that contracts um, that get into C++ will be tailored more towards their situation. But interestingly, there's a chapter called Syntax, and they list both uh, proposed syntaxes, the attribute-like syntax and the natural syntax. And they say, quote, until a final choice is made on the syntax for contracts, this paper will use the alternate attribute-like syntax and will include footnotes where a significant deviation with the other syntax choices is worth noting. And the alternate attribute like syntax. So a third one then. 
sure, <laughs> why not? Yeah, anyway, I, I thought uh, it was interesting that this paper suddenly appeared in such a complete form. Maybe it's a good sign. Maybe, as you pointed out, you know, one of the others are the same. So maybe there, there is some convergence. Maybe the completeness of this paper means that we are getting closer? I should hope so. I would really like there not to be a repeat of the previous situation with contracts. Yeah, we've been burned before. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, okay, we'll watch this one. Uh, this is at revision zero, so anything can happen. Uh, we need to uh, to see what uh, will the committee feedback be. Next paper is titled A Plan for C++26 Ranges by Barry Revzin, Connor Hextra, and Tim Song. And it's, uh, it's a plan. Uh, it summarizes the current uh, proposed uh, features, uh, current papers in flight. There's a big table which summarizes uh, things that were already implemented, including in range v3 library, which is not standard. So yeah, it's a very useful summary and explanation of what's coming in the future. So yeah, it's a very useful paper. Next paper is titled Sender Receiver Interface for Networking. It's at revision one. Uh, we've seen it before. It's by Dietmar Kuhl of Bloomberg. And if you remember a thing called Networking TS, this is sort of a rebase of Networking TS on state execution proposal. <laughs> not, not rebase as such, but uh, let's let's see what the intro says. Quote, this document proposes the addition of senders for asynchronous networking operations to the networking TS and ultimately to the C++ standard. As the state execution proposal isn't landed yet, this proposal is kept at a high level and is primarily intended to discuss what a potential interface for asynchronous networking operations could look like. So this is sort of a, a paper to maintain the ground for eventual introduction of senders and receivers into a future version of networking TS. Have I got that right? Hopefully. The proposed uh, quote, the proposed changes augment the networking TS rather than defining entirely new networking components. The main dispute over the networking TS is the model for asynchronous execution. The vocabulary used to interact with networking facilities like addresses, socket protocols, etc. doesn't need to be replaced entirely to support sender-receiver. The sender-receiver capabilities can be added, which is what the current proposal does. If the current direction of having only one model for asynchronous operations is confirmed, it will need to also remove the executor-based facilities. So it's like a work in progress to facilitate the future development of networking TS once senders and receivers are complete, whenever that happens. Which is, uh, I think, good and a noble 
endeavor and let it continue because otherwise we'll never get any networking in the standard which some people think would be a good thing i would probably like to have it in the standard okay the next paper is about erroneous behavior again and it's a new proposal for adding a new type of erroneous behavior the title is erroneous behavior for missing return from assignment so it's kind of a small one the motivation section says flowing off the end of an assignment operator overload is a common mistake in current c unlike in c it's undefined behavior to call a function with non-void return type that flows off the end regardless of whether the result of the function call is used P2795 proposes the definition of erroneous behavior in C++, which is well-defined behavior that is nonetheless an error. This is the proposal that kind of softened me on erroneous behavior concept, because, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a new thing, and as new thing, it, it requires a new training. Uh, but, you know, it does seem to solve uh, some issues, you know, here, for instance, you know, avoiding undefined behavior again, maybe, maybe it's not bad. Yeah, this one definitely sounds like a good thing. Although you should probably do use uh, default in implementations for things like this. But yeah, I completely understand that there is a Yeah, maybe it was a bit of a contrived example. But... Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's um, that's good. The next paper is by Walter E. Brown, and it's called "Implication for C++." Looking at the title, I thought it would be something pretty grand. Um, it's like, what is the implication for C++? Yeah, it's a good title. It's a good title. However, <laughs> this is about proposing a new operator. This paper proposes to introduce operator equals greater than, or arrow, the implication operator <laughs> into the C++ core language. And then the paper explains what is implication and it's just uh, another kind of uh, logical operate, uh, operation. Uh, think uh, if you have uh, two booleans, P and Q. So the semantics of the proposed operator is identical to not P in parentheses or logical or Q. Uh, there are um, truth tables to illustrate this. And yeah, lots of interesting words like if antis antecedent, antecedent, then consequent. Hmm. Yeah, I was reading this. It, it took me a minute to figure out you know, the, 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 the logic behind. But the more I read it, the more... Uh, I liked it. At the beginning, I, I must confess, I was a bit puzzled, but um, 
Walter Brown is a master meta programmer. So um, I I was trying to keep an open mind, and in fact, you know, later on in the paper, there are examples where this thing is useful in static asserts. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the logic is just having some sort of operator that states if something is true, then something else also must be true, ignoring every case where the first thing is not true. If the first thing is not true, then whatever, uh, then it's, everything is fine. But if the first one is true, then the second thing must also be true. It, it makes sense. Um, again, I don't know if you know we want to go and add even more stuff like that, but you know, uh, it, if Walter Brown says it's useful, I'm willing to keep an open mind. Yeah, the paper is very well written and the language is just really um, nice to read. And I've written quite a few of those exact conditions in, in my code or seen <laughs> in other people's code. But um, as for the operator being introduced I can't shake the feeling that it's a waste of a perfectly good arrow operator you you would like this uh, nice arrow to be used in some other way give me short lambdas right short lambdas <laughs> yeah then it's a syntax problem mm. can you use something else some other double thing I don't know Anyway, <laughs> it's uh, interesting if there will if there's going to be any bike shedding about what exact operator to use for this. And probably, probably. historically, C plus plus is very new operator averse. So, yeah, we'll see yeah, I believe goes. the reason behind using an arrow is that in mathematics, uh, an implication is actually actually denoted as an arrow, a right pointing arrow. So this is kind of a logical thing, but the ah. thin arrow is already used for uh, for pointers. Right, I'm exposing my ignorance here. Thanks. Maybe we could have equal, then straight line like a pipe, and then greater than to make into a more complete but longer to type arrow. I don't know. Like... Or double minus and greater than, or whatever. Yeah, but it would be probably error prone or, or ambiguous to parse. Yeah, double minus is also a problem because you get this. You remember a few weeks ago, uh, Gleb, you showed us the. Uh, the double minus greater than uh, in a for, in a while loop that was like something oh, yeah, yeah, going yeah. to zero. <laughs> yeah, that goes the goes to operator. <laughs> yes, operators are hard. Right. Next, someone on Reddit says, "Question: Is SG seven reflection is still active?" And the answer, unfortunately, is no. Uh, someone write, someone replies, I'm not very informed that I read on previous Reddit posts that the author of Reflection Papers had some more important stuff come up. So there's no one to push the Reflection Papers for now. And yeah, um, someone posted earlier that the... Um, 
forums and um, I think mailing lists are completely silent. It's a, a very of, sad, very, very yeah. sad story, yes. So we might not even get it in 26. Next topic is CMake. And it gets C++ module support at last in version 3.28. I kind of feel that this warrants a bigger version increase, given that it's such a huge feature. It's like 27, no modules, 28 modules. Mm. 3.3 maybe at least. I'm looking forward to using this. Quote, after five years, it's finally done. Next CMake 3.28 release will support CPP modules. C++ 20 named modules are now supported by Ninja generators and Visual Studio generators for Visual Studio 2022 and newer. In combination with the MSVC 14.34 toolset provided with Visual Studio 17.4, Nice version numbers there, Visual Studio. And newer, LLVM Clang 16 and newer, and GCC 14. After the 2023-09-20 daily bump and newer. So <laughs> GCC module support hasn't even warranted a new version number or anything. It's like, this is the commit. You use it for, for modules, but... Yeah, um, at last, well done everyone involved in this. I'm really glad to see it. Maybe now people start will start using it, uh, using modules at, at last. Is there is there support for import STD on, on any of the compilers? I think uh, maybe is... Uh, MSVC, the... I think, yes, others... I'm not sure. I think maybe this GCC fourteen GCC uh, from has it a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but Clang, I don't think it has it yet. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. So, yeah, and then the rest of the thread on Reddit is about how bad CMake is. <laughs> Like uh, I had this shower thought the other day, CMake is the PHP of build systems. PHP is notoriously badly designed as a language, but everyone uses it. And I dare say, so is CMake. Right. Another modules related thing Gavidos Reyes writes on the mm, uh, on the Visual Studio blog, open sourcing IFC SDK for C++ modules. Yeah, quote, today we are thrilled to announce the availability of the IFC SDK, a Microsoft implementation of the IFC specification. This is an open source project under the Apache license the IFC specification formalizes C++, C++ programs as data amenable to semantics-based manipulation. 
so this is what describes the format of the BMI, built module interface. This is like an intermediate representation of a C++ program. And he hopes that other compilers will adopt it and potentially will support the same BMI format. Currently, both GCC and Clang, I think, have their own a format for storing uh, pre-built modules, module binary interfaces. But uh, I think even if they don't adopt it, there may be some useful tidbits there for, for the other compilers to implement or just have to look at. Uh, right. Next topic is Herbsata CPP front autumn update. CPP front is what's uh, CPP front is the compiler for Herb's CPP2 language. And he in, in his blog post he says that uh, the compiler started self-hosting. So um, it's interesting. He says, I haven't spent a lot of time yet converting CPP front's own code from today's syntax one to my alternate syntax two, which I'm calling CPP one and CPP two for short. So there are now two CPP two syntaxes, or does it does he mean that CPP one is just standard C++? It's not. Uh, it's not yet. It's it's not clear to me. I think he just calls it. I believe it's just his own evolution of C plus plus version one and version two. Some improvements he made. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. But maybe it is confusing. Maybe CPP one just may, it does mean normal CPP. Why not? That would say? be CPP zero. We are in the same world. <laughs> So next he says, no data left behind, mandatory explicit discard. So in CPP2, no discard is now de the default, including when calling existing C++ libraries. So he's just appending no discard to basically everything. Uh, he says it's pretty painless and his way, his proposed way to do an explicit discard is to assign the result to the don't care wildcard, the underscore. We do have stdignore. I don't know that. if stdignore is only sanctioned to be used with a cd tie in principle. And uh, it's a little bit used as an underscore here and there. But I do think there were proposals to standardize this, the underscore in a similar way. I remember well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think underscore the underscore is in C plus plus twenty three, but it sort of works as a, a normal variable. You can only have one in uh, in one scope. Mm -hmm. And whereas here, you can, I wonder. Uh, yeah, good question. Still ignore. You can use how times. How many times you like? 
I used it outside the Thai uh, context, so I don't know. I've seen it, you know, in many places as well, but um, I'm not 100% sure that it's, you know, it's not a slight, uh, uh, quote-unquote, misuse of uh, standard ignore. So CPP2 has in-out and out parameters, and this leads to his uh, explanation of how the optimization works with CPP front when it has to determine which usage of a variable in a scope is the last one so that it can perform an efficient move, for example. And here he says, uh, he, he presents uh, a piece of code uh, which like assigns uh, something to a, ver a local variable and then passes that variable into a function, but basically if you don't then assign the x to a don't care variable, the compiler might think that the uh, function call is the last usage and might over-optimize or something. So you, you sort of have to assign it to uh, the underscore and the assignment has to be the last operate operation in a scope, which looks to me like there's additional nuance that you have to keep in mind. And yeah, sort of and those two things are like you need to do in, in a different line something that uh, yeah. maybe it could be done in one. I don't know. I mean, if you do std move uh, when you call function, then you know, okay, so that, that's it, you know. In this case, you advance and then you set underscore to it. I mean, it, it, it does look like a two phase process. Uh, hmm. I'm not sure. Could I be related. Uh, could it be related to exceptions? Uh, in line four, you actually destroy the X. If you have some code in between and some exception happen, you will have to destroy X with other variables at the end of the scope. So if you have some exception after line four, in this case, X already destroyed and it could be optimized better. Could be. on the definition of destroyed. I don't know here if we have the usual uh, C++ uh, understanding of uh, mm. what things, uh, what destroying means. Uh, uh, you know. I mean, it's, it's, it's called destructor for the vector. So... So no. the destructor of this uh, x variable would still probably be called that line, you know, when when the scope ends, I guess. Uh, although, no, I'm not if, sure if it if it no if idea. it should go uh, away uh, at the end of the scope, it means if you will have something in between and it uh, created an exception, and at, at the end of the scope you will have multiple uh, objects to to destroy. In and this yeah, case, you will have things. less objects and you can optimize this uh, uh, exception catching. 
it's really yeah, difficult well, to reason about this code because we don't know what happens in CPP front or what yeah, how, how Herb is implemented it. He doesn't even mention exceptions anywhere in this article, so maybe it wasn't on his mind even. I think his considerations were for like optimization of things more than error handling. I think I suspect that he might not have reached the um, dealing with exceptions phase in his CPP front work. So, but yeah. what, the, uh, what other reason could be to destroy some variable in the, in the middle of the scope? Well, he probably means to make it uh, easier to move the data automatically if the receiving function can actually accept like a right value references or, or references. Uh, but it's important to realize that in standard C++, uh, just passing something by R value reference doesn't mean that the move has to happen. So the object, the original object still needs to be destructed. Even though it has no value, the destructor is still going to be called. Correct. So you would do a CD move in the function call and not advance, but you know, whatever is the function call. And then the object will be in this unspecified state. Uh, and then the, the destructor will still do something, maybe nothing, but uh, still going to be called. So I don't know. I Maybe well, we, looking at the generated C++ would shed some light here. So let's read what he, uh, how he explains this. In this example, that call to std advance uh, with the parameter x is a definite last use of x. And so CPP2 will automatically pass x as an R value and make it a move candidate. And the call won't compile because you can't pass an R value to a CPP2 in-out parameter, which is apparently what uh, advance has in CPP2. That's a feature, not a bug, because if that's the last use of X, that means the function is not looking at X again, so it's ignoring the out value of this advance function call which is exactly like ignoring a return value. And the guidance is the same. If you really meant to do that, just explicitly discard X's final value. So it's not even about, you know, um, optimization or, or moving. It's, it's about just uh, letting the code compile because uh, it won't compile with uh, the CPP2 in-out parameter annotation. So then it does compile when you add uh, underscore equal x afterwards? Apparently, yes. Because then I suspect CPP2 will not pass x as an R value by default. So an additional statement changes how this variable is passed to a previous function. I'm not sure I like this, to be honest. Neither do I. Yeah, it's it's something that that uh, he's trying to fix in his own implementation of C plus plus. That's what looks like, right? Yeah. And then listen to this paragraph. Quote: I really, really like how my C plus plus code data flow is explicit and fully protected and safe in syntax two, and I'm very pleased to see how it just works naturally throughout the language from universal guaranteed initialization to explicit constructors by default to binding implicitly discarding any values, to uniform treatment of 
returned variables, whether returned by return value or the out part of in-out and out parameters, and all of it working also with the existing C++ libraries so they are safer and nicer to use from syntax too. That's a long sentence. Data is always initialized. Data is never silently lost. Data flow is always visible. Data is precious and it's always safe. This feels right and proper to me." End quote. So that's a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, let's see some better examples, none that know of uh, uh, scope above, because it's literally doing nothing. So it could be optimized away completely, no move needed. It's just, you know, you get a value, add two to it, and discard it. Okay. He also added support for requires clauses. Oh yeah, that this is this one is weird. Generalized aliases plus constexpr with equals equals. So in CPP two declarations are of the form thing colon type equals value. Quote: I decided to try using the same syntax but with equals equals to denote always equal to. And the example is namespace alias lit colon namespace equals equals std literals <sighs> always equal means that it's not going to change that's what it means i guess yeah it's like cuts text for alias as opposed to variable declarations hmm, hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah it feels like pascal to me and then this other uh, chapter, safe enum and flag enum metafunctions. In short, in CPP2, quote, in CPP2, there's no enum feature hardwired into the language. Instead, you write an ordinary class type and just apply the enum metafunction. Uh, okay. Uh, then quote continues, why have this meta function on an ordinary C++ class when C++ already has both C's enum and C++'s enum class? Because it keeps the language smaller and simpler because it doesn't hardwire special purpose divergent splinter types into the language and compiler. And then, okay, I'm, I'm going to omit this Beatles um, quote. It's, better, it's a better enum than C enum, because C enum is unscoped and not as strongly typed. And it's a better enum class than C11 enum class, because it's more flexible. Basically, you now can add member functions to enums. And uh, a flag enum variation uh, has power of two semantics and an unsigned underlying type. And the same he does with the union metafunction, which is also now a sort of a class. And then he continues exactly the same points, including the Beatles thing. Yeah, so he's, um, he's on fire. He's adding stuff like there's no tomorrow. I mean, the enum problem is a real problem. I'm I'm not sure I'm on board with a solution, but I agree that uh, because we don't have uh, 
reflections, then you know people are trying to uh, iterate over enums uh, in many ways, and we have uh, people using macros to uh, do things with enums. Yeah, his uh, his enums and unions can have a two-string function, which automatically produces what's needed. So yeah, that that would be a plus. But this quote from Reddit. First, thanks to Mr. Sutter that at least is he's trying, which is more than what others do, myself included. Next, an unpopular opinion. The more I look at CPP2, the less I like the syntax it uses. It's becoming complex really fast. And it's great that it changes, improves some things, but the ones I think are a mistake, like six types of arguments for a function, remain so. This will end in a complex syntax and a complex language, which will be an issue sooner than the, rather than later. I think it's a very good comment. I would upvote that. Yeah. Especially the part, thank you to Sat Mr. Sutter to uh, trying, uh, which also applies uh, to myself that is doing <laughs> more than I am doing. Uh, so I'm just complaining about him, uh, his approach, uh, which feels uh, very unfair, I think, uh, in general. We, so. Yeah, me too. We're just complaining on the internet about something that someone Stu does. Grumps. <laughs> yep. Old man shouts at the cloud. And then interestingly, in the same thread, Herbsatter appears and says, while you're all here, let me ask a question. And then he proceeds with a bit of Reddit-driven design and <laughs> gathering feedback on something he wants to do in CPP2. So recently there was a, an article on the LLVM blog. Uh, no, it was in on um, libc++ documentation uh, of uh, the LLVM project, which described modules in libc++. Uh, they say this page contains information regarding C23 module support in libc++. There are two kinds of modules available in Clang, Clang-specific modules and C++ modules. This page mainly discusses the C++ modules. Uh, yeah, so Clang-specific modules have been there for a good few years now, but uh, C++ modules are still in development as far as I know. So yeah, they list things that already work and some of the current limitations. So this is an, an older article than the one about CMake support. So at the, at the time of writing this document, there wasn't no official build system support, although libc++ has experiment, experimental CMake support. And they list versions of CMake that are required for each C++ standard. Uh, this requires a recent Clang 17. It's quite a few limitations. But the fact that there's a separate page in the documentation about modules, I think it's a good sign. And yeah, it all goes um, toward the, the common goal of just simply having C++ modules everywhere. Ah, wouldn't that be nice? There is a useful 
a piece of C++ code on GitHub called cppdump. It's a convenience function, an all-around dump function library for C++ that supports even user-defined classes. It's a debug facility, uh, a nice debug helper. So there is a macro, and there's also a macro-less API, which just dumps dumps variables to to the console or whatever to to string. Um, yeah, might be useful for debugging. Although if you use the uh, FMT library, the text formatting library, it already has support for dumping vectors, as far as I know. So, but this this should also support all kinds of other classes. Like uh, this is an example of. Uh, what the output looks like, and then the, the support sets, maps, tuples, uh, basically whatever you throw at it, it will dump. Looks useful. nice. Is it single header? Uh, probably. Like, uh, yeah, there's, well, single header. <laughs> there's quite a quite a few headers, but uh, it's just headers. I think there's no nothing to compile and okay. uh, headers only. Yeah, yeah. There's a single header to import and then to to include and then yeah, it's uh, it's pretty simple to use. And finally, I'll leave you with this interesting article. The URL itself is interesting. Uh, HTTPS x86.mov is Turing complete. It's a paper that demonstrates that the x86 instruction is Turing complete all by itself. The paper starts with this quote It is well known that x86 instruction set is baroque, overcomplicated, and redundantly redundant. We show just how much fluff it has by demonstrating that it remains Turing complete when reduced to just one instruction. This, this paper inspired Mofuscator, which is the single instruction C compiler. It's, it's completely mind-blowing. Building on this, there's a branchless, move-only version of the classic Doom video game. Of course there's a Doom video game with this. So the first thing you do. How, how much did the size of the binary increase, I wonder? Uh, don't know about the size of binary, but uh, the quote continues. This is thought to be entirely secure against the Meltdown and Spectre CPU vulnerabilities, which require speculative execution on branch instructions, because they're none. The move-only Doom renders approximately one frame every seven hours. So playing this version requires somewhat increased patience. <laughs> Ouch, ouch. Ouch. Right, that's it for today. Thank you very much for coming, and I'll see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, Gleb. Thanks, Gleb.